passion. That's why you're passionate about kind of interviewing people and sharing that. I know that's why I'm passionate, like, so that it ripples out and people realize that, you know, one of the things I see so much in healing is everybody's focused so much on the physical body. And that's important, obviously, but actually things don't even really start at that level when, when they come up, they start more in, you know, our minds and our energy fields in our emotional systems. And then like, eventually, if we don't catch it in those other layers, then it lands in the body. So we can't just like fix it at the body level, because usually it didn't even start there. It's like got, you know, five other layers above it that we need to address. Welcome to the Spiritual Shiftworker Podcast. I'm Lyanne, and I'm so happy that you've pressed play today. This podcast is here to inspire you, but more importantly, to provide you with the tools you may need in order to make a shift in any area of your life. Whether it's a small shift or a big shift, I will be sharing real-life stories from incredible humans who have done both. And of course, as a shift worker, we will navigate all the ups and downs of working shifts, from nutrition to learning how to ditch the overwhelm to creating more time to do the things that light you up. So grab that Java, sit back, and enjoy. Welcome back to the show, everyone. I hope that your week is going well. I am super excited to introduce to you this week's guest, Lynn Del Mastro Thompson. Lynn and I connected on Facebook, and when I got to hear more about her story, it was evident that she needed to be on the podcast. In 2004, Lynn was misdiagnosed with leukemia, and at that point, she faced with a was faced with a great deal of fear and overwhelm. And not only that, but she had no one to help her guide her down that path. And she really didn't resonate with just the take the pill and live with it philosophy. And she knew deep inside of herself that there had to be other ways to help her heal herself. This conversation ranges between just the deep knowing when we're ignoring the whispers right? And then getting the cosmic two by four to the head. Um, And then just really turning our struggle or our journey into our message and how we're going to help in the world. And Lynn's book, You Are Not Your Diagnosis, shares her entire story. And I'll be putting the link to that, of course, in the show notes. But we also talk just about again, a theme that I talk about a lot on the podcast, which is that we are so disconnected from ourselves. And what I think is great is that dealing with somatic healing and how I'm learning more about that, we talk about that in the podcast. And so Lynn was on a trajectory for her career and what she thought or what she was supposed to do and realized that just wasn't where she was going to go, right? And she believes that her getting sick in 2004 was her wake-up call. And she had been in grad school for three years, was miserable and afraid to quit because she didn't know what she wanted to do with her life. And as we move into this new year, I feel that this is a theme that is really emerging. And so you're gonna be seeing a lot or hearing, I guess, a lot more stories about people who have, like I said, shifted, but, that they've maybe had to get the cosmic two by four in the head, or they're starting to really hear the whispers. And then they're like, but how do I do it? 
right? How do I get there? How do I build that bridge? And so for Lynn, she went back to school. She got a master's degree in somatic psychology and pursued training in biofeedback and therapeutic yoga. This entire conversation ranges so good. I could have talked to Lynn for so long, but you will find all of her contact info in the show notes, what she's more all about, but this conversation is great and it's gonna give you a really, really amazing look into how, as I've been talking about all this time, we just need to slow down. We just need to take a hot minute and listen to our own bodies and that when we can really breathe and really listen that not only will we regulate our nervous system right you'll also hear what it is that you're actually supposed to be doing here on this earth so grab that java and let's get started Welcome, Lynn, to the uh, Spiritual Shift Worker podcast. I'm so happy that you're here. How are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Great. So um, I'm really super excited. And I people are going to be like, she says this all the time. But I really am because i uh, excited about this conversation because I've looked into you, obviously did a little bit of my homework, and I feel this conversation is... Uh, something that I'm very passionate about as well. So I would love for you to introduce yourself to the listeners, where you are in the world, and what you are currently excited about in this version of Lynn. Okay. So I am an energy healer. I'm a hypnotist, and I specialize in working with women entrepreneurs who are dealing with chronic pain and chronic illness. So I help them kind of get to the root of what's causing their symptoms and get them back to really making that impact in the world that they want to make. So I live in Northern Arizona in an area called Prescott Valley, and everybody thinks Arizona is warm all the time. We just chatted about that before we started. So we do get some snow here. (laughs) And um, I think what I'm excited about is just how my work continues to evolve. And like, I'm actually considering creating now a membership, which has been an idea that's been floating for a while. Uh, because right now I'm kind of at one-on-one capacity and I want to find other ways that, you know, I can continue to serve and make it accessible for people to still get support in their healing path. Hmm. Amazing. Yeah. There's only so much scalability, right? To one-on-one. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) So healing energies, uh, chronic pain, these are, um, really important topics and things that you're teaching and sharing with the world. And I'd like to go back um, and maybe you can share a little bit about your own personal journey and what brought you to this sort of what you're doing now, because I find a lot of the people that are in this modality of healers, there's some been something that's triggered that for them. And I mean, triggered not necessarily in a negative way, but triggered them to then make a life change or have that shift that occurs where now this is what I really want to do or why, why I'm here. So maybe you can just share a little bit of your journey and what brought you to this point. Yeah. So my journey kind of started in my, my mid twenties. 
um, straight out of college, I went to graduate school and I was pursuing a completely different life path than that that I'm on right now, as probably most people who end up in the healing field. Um, I thought I wanted to be a professor of history, so I was getting a PhD in history. And I was about, how many years in? I was about four years in, three years in to my program. And I was miserable for those three years. I didn't feel like I was in the right place, but I wasn't listening to kind of the the signals that my body and my mind and my spirit were kind of giving me of like, hey, maybe you took a wrong turn on your path. And, you know, I just kept making silly excuses to myself, like graduate school is supposed to be hard. You're supposed to be miserable. Like I had all of these silly beliefs looking back that I'm like, where the heck did that come from? Mm. And finally, in 2004, my body just screamed at me, basically. So it actually kind of started out with me going in for elective surgery. I was going to have a breast reduction, which I had probably wanted since I was about 16 years old. And I was finally at that point where, okay, I had found the surgeon, gotten all of the the ducks in the row to make that happen. They did the pre-op blood work and the pre-op blood work came back with something that the surgeon was like, this looks abnormal. And after confirming it wasn't lavers, running the tests once again, he canceled my surgery and just basically didn't tell me anything other than I can't do surgery. Like there's something abnormal in your blood and go see your primary doctor as soon as you can. So that was, you know, left me one night because it was the night before surgery, getting all these phone calls going, what is he even talking about? And I started on this kind of two week long path, going to the primary doctor who ran tests, as we all kind of know, in that medical world, it's like one thing after the next, after the next getting phone calls from like a specialist who I'd never met before, like, which that doesn't happen. Like I, I knew enough in my twenties to be like doctors who don't know, like you've never seen, don't usually call you on the phone. So something was wrong. And what had actually happened was I had clotted off the veins that drained my liver, which, you know, Mm -hmm. that's not supposed to happen, obviously. And they had to get those open and then they had to figure out why. So it basically ended up with me in a local hospital where I lived at first and then transferred about four days later to a different medical center in a bigger city uh, because they figured out I had clotted off the veins, but they hadn't figured out why and they'd never done the procedure in that hospital to open them before. And they said, we don't want to be like, you know, practicing on you. We're going to send you someplace else. So. I just want to stop you there for a second because interesting, right? That you've, you've got this surgery that's planned that you've, you've wanted and something else is found, right? Like, so if you had never maybe had that surgery planned and booked and ready to go, this other thing may not have been ever found It would have been because I actually, like, my belly started to swell up shortly after because Uh, the liver wasn't able to to function properly. Okay. So in my case, it would have been. But, you know, it was kind of a very interesting way for this to be discovered. I mean, it would have actually been very odd, too, to all of a sudden have my belly just, like, swelling up with all this fluid and be like, what's going on here? (laughs) You know, why why do I look like I'm pregnant all of a sudden? 
Yeah. I knew I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, and so then what, so tests in the hospital, like this is a little bit stressful for sure. Having Very stressful. Right. They had to do actually a bone marrow biopsy. Well, mm-hmm. I've, I've actually, the first hospital they tried and all I was given was local pain medication told, it's not going to be that bad. You'll just feel some pressure. I couldn't tolerate it. It was agonizingly painful. The doctor had to stop. So they had to repeat that in the next hospital with lots more pain medication because, you know, I couldn't tolerate it just with a little local shot and kind of they went through the procedure to open up the the veins in the liver, got that all taken care of, drained fluid off my belly. It was like, and it was very rare what I had developed. So I was in a teaching hospital and everybody, I was like, felt like the human specimen of like let's all send in the medical students and they can feel her belly and I'm like not just like you know you feel really dehumanized in that situation it was a very very tough few weeks you know and, and stressful painful scary because you know up until the end basically I didn't have an answer other than you've clotted off these these veins but we still are trying to figure out why that happened Mm. And so what was the final result of all of that? So at the time, they said, they told me that you have chronic myelogenous leukemia. I still remember that day being in the hospital room and the the doctor telling me that and being completely terrified, you know, just feeling like my whole life had been shaken and stirred and flipped upside down and like a snow globe, you know, nothing felt (laughs) the same. And I actually came to find out three years later that that was actually a misdiagnosis. Oh, my. And I had been treated for that for three years. So it was it was a very crazy experience and one that sometimes I feel like I was in, you know, a lifetime movie, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, OK, so three years of living with this misdiagnosis. Correct. And is that. Is that whole experience what led you into what you're doing now or was it? Yes. Like, okay. So maybe yeah, that's, yeah I want to hear how that experience and I, you know, the tests as we just mentioned, having all these tests and being prodded and, you know, pr- oh, over in the hospital led you to where you are as far as now you really rely on your own knowing. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, at first I kind of, assumed what they said was true, you know, and I started down the path and, you know, I wasn't in the world of, you know, alternative treatments at that point. I was like, they tell you to take this medication. They tell you to do this treatment. I'm doing all of that. And I'm watching as my body begins to get worse. And yet every checkup I have with the hematologist I have, he's like, good news. It looks like the medication is working. Like this lab is showing things are improving. And I'm like, huh? Because Mm -hmm. I started to actually like lose a scary amount of weight. Like initially it was kind of nice because I I had wanted to lose a little bit of weight. But then when you get to the point that, you know, you look a little bit like a human skeleton and you see yourself in the mirror, you know, something's not right. Yeah. And nobody would kind of pay attention to that. The doctor would actually kind of gaslight me, you know, at these appointments, he would say, well, how do you feel? How are you doing? And I, I wouldn't 
candy coat it. I would tell him, I'm like, I'm tired. I don't feel well. I'm worried about why I'm losing weight. You know, whatever I was concerned about, I was honest. And his response was just the simple answer. You look great, which is bizarre to tell a person who looks in the mirror and sees that they look like a human skeleton. Like, I'm like, I have eyeballs and I have a brain that still works. Like, don't tell me I look great. Listen to my concerns. Yeah. Yeah. And that's where we really, I mean, having in Western society, having these uh, medicines available, quote, medicines, treatments, you still need to be your own health advocate. Yes. And so tapping back into your knowing, like you knew in your body that there was something wrong and it wasn't the diagnosis. There was something further than that, right? Right. Yeah. And I, because at first it was just like, this doesn't make any sense. This doesn't feel right. You know, but nobody, I was kind of trapped in this. Nobody would listen. I would ask for a referral to a different specialist. My primary doctor would say, but he and I went to medical school and he's like the best person here in town. And I would be like, what the heck? If this is the best person here in town, I'm not happy with this. And he would never give me that referral to somebody else. So I was like kind of stuck in this like spin cycle of like, I can't change what's going on in my care. Mm. And, you know, being in my twenties, I didn't know, like I could have probably been more forceful right now. Looking back, I would have been like, no, you will give me a referral to somebody else. Like this is my right to have a referral to someone else. But you know, he didn't want to do that. And I didn't know that I could stand up to him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so you just imagine how many people uh, who even don't even have the thought to do that, right? It's like right. you knew you wanted another referral, but you at that age and that time was like, I don't know how to push it further. Can you imagine the people that don't even feel that they have a voice to even Yep. Even have a dispute or a conversation right. with uh, a medical professional, uh, professional, how they feel in those situations. And it's happening so more. And I, and this is such it a is. good conversation because being, it's not just about advocating for your health, but it's the whole, I know that there's something wrong. And like you said, being gaslit into that and knowing that I know what is right for my body. Mm-hmm. innately we know right and that so many people don't know and so that's really where I want to go with this conversation in that what you're doing now and so did you what did you do you didn't get the answer you wanted from the doctor right so, so I started like looking you? yeah I started to look in first I just started exploring things that could help me with the immense amount of stress and anxiety that I was feeling that was kind of where I started to maybe take my power back in a way it was like, okay, I live a life now where I feel awful and anxious and stressed every day. And I know that, you know, I knew enough to know that wasn't really good for my health, my mental well-being, like any of that. So I first started out seeing somebody who did something called biofeedback and she basically hooked me up to different sensors. We could see like what was going on with my heart rate, my breathing, like in real time on on a screen that both of us could see. And I learned how to start to regulate my nervous system basically through that journey together. So that was was kind of like the start and kind of I feel like the door cracked open with that, you know. 
And then I started to just kind of follow the trail of things that I got led to, you know, about a year and a half in, I actually went through another crisis, another trauma, when my best friend actually died very suddenly. And she actually, of all things, died of complications from a blood clot after having her tonsils removed. So it was like, you know, you realize, and she she was 18 days older than I was. So Mm -hmm. you kind of have this moment of like, oh my God, I really can die. Like, you know, 25 year old people can die. And it was terrifying. So I sunk into a depression. And then kind of as I started to get pulled out of that and get help with therapy, my therapist said, go try this yoga class that was called yoga for healing. And I thought she was crazy at first because my only exposure to yoga up to that point was like seeing people in a gym setting, you know, doing headstands and bending into, you know, pretzels. And I was like, um, I'm like exhausted and I don't feel well and I don't have a lot of strength in my body. Like what you're sending me to yoga. And she's like, no, it's not what you picture. (laughs) Go to this class. And so I took a chance and I did. And it wasn't what I pictured. It was a lot of (laughs) laying on the ground, breathing, like doing very small movements. It was a lot of, again, kind of nervous system regulation, learning to be in my body in a different way. So that was like another beautiful piece that kind of came in. And then I just, I kind of described myself as the yes person of like any alternative treatment that crossed my path. Have you tried acupuncture? No, but do you know a good acupuncturist? Have you ever experienced Reiki? No, but do you know somebody who does Reiki? Like I just started doing all of the things that people would suggest and at least giving it a shot. Like some things I might've tried and been like, no, not for me. Um, Some things I found really beneficial and I kept doing them and it just, it became kind of like this flourishing of like all these other things that while they didn't kind of fix the underlying bigger picture of what was going on, they made me feel a heck of a lot better on a daily basis. Yeah. Isn't it interesting that you, uh, you said, you know, you just, you may not have known what it was, but you wanted to learn. And I think that's the key for people. One of the things for people to take away is that in order to, as I say, follow the breadcrumbs, you have to be open to seeing them in the first place. Right. And your, your ability to say yes and to allow something different to come into your life opened more doors and allowed you to see more of the breadcrumbs, which has mm-hmm. led you right to where you are. And on another aspect of that, you could really call that just following your intuition, right? Exactly. Following yeah. the things that feel good. Like you said, some things work, some things didn't, some things made you feel really good, but you started to feel it in your body with what was working. Right. And so yeah. that's really key for people. And I think when you get into more of what, you know, the concept of what you do and regulating nerve, our nervous system and getting back into our bodies um, is very, very important. Very much so. Yeah. I mean, we can't really heal when we're in a stress state It kind of biologically, we just shut off a lot of that capacity of the body to repair and heal and regenerate. So if we're constantly stressed out, you know, we can do all these wonderful things and take a bunch of supplements and, you know, like do all of the things, but yet we're kind of wasting our time and our money if we're not getting the body into healing. Yeah. And that's why a lot of people, right, will jump from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next, because the first thing didn't work. 
but this is the next best thing. It must work when they're not getting to the in root of the problem, which is healing the body on a cellular level. Yes. Mm. And so how do you help your clients do that? Yeah. So I kind of have three main pillars in the work that I do in my method. So one of them, as we just were kind of chatting about, is about nervous system regulation because we can't heal if we're in fight or flight. So we have to train our bodies to come out of that state, to come back into parasympathetic. And our bodies are like, oh, okay, now I can start to do that important work that probably for some people has been on the back burner for years. You know, most of us live unfortunately stressful lives. We live in kind of a fight or flight state and we never, some people never really get out of that. We're just constantly in that. So that's definitely one of the key pieces. Um, another I work with, um, because I'm a trained hypnotist, I really believe in the power of our subconscious mind and what we believe is possible versus, you know, if we don't believe it's possible, so hypnosis kind of entered my my work a little bit later, and I started to notice when I was just doing energy work, people would ask me, clients would ask me, do you think this is going to work for me? And my answer is always, of course, yeah, of course, I believe this will work for you. I don't take on clients that I don't think I can help. Like, first of all, that's not integrity to me. Like, if I don't think I can do something for you, I'm going to tell you that and, you know, maybe refer you somewhere else. But it started to show me that they didn't believe that it was possible. And if you don't believe that it's possible for you to get better, you know, you're kind of at a foundational level. Again, you're, you're kind of shooting yourself in the foot. Yes. And that has been proven, right? That the power of our mind um, can heal us or hurt us in such right. impactful ways. And, um, you know, bringing in that is very important and so many people, like you said, we live these crazy stressful and I use busy in quotes because I, I feel busy as a mindset, right? You, right. If you want to be busy in your mind, you can make yourself busy, right? Um, even on the inside or the outside, but rewiring it and getting people to believe that they can actually heal is, um, is key. And what's the third pillar? So the third pillar is all about looking at kind of stuck emotions that get stored up in our bodies and the traumas that we've experienced. Mm. And I always like to say trauma doesn't have to be that capital T trauma that everyone imagines that, you know, you were abused as a child or you were raped or like some huge thing. We all are, I would want to say, we probably all have some level of trauma in our lives, at least most people that I've ever met, you know, we've been through difficult and hard things and a health crisis and a, a diagnosis, I would say, what I went through certainly was a trauma. And most people that come to me have been through some sort of medical trauma or, you know, healing trauma in their process. And so if we don't really address that, and I really think we have to address it at like a body level as well. Um, you know, we can't just heal trauma by talking about it. Usually it doesn't, doesn't work very effectively, no. you know, because it doesn't get it out of the body and the body is really like the warehouse and the storehouse of everything that we've been through. And that hasn't been resolved for us yet. Yeah. I think <laughs> it's so interesting. As I said, just before we started, before I hit record, um, is that I'm taking a somatic healing uh, certification right now. And it's, people don't want to feel the feelings. They don't want to sit still long enough 
to actually be aware of what's going on in their body, probably right. for, you know, like you said, those traumas, but also it's just society is really having people believe in things outside of themselves, right? Looking for validation outside constantly rather right. than looking inward. And I think people are just so disconnected from the mind, body, soul connection mm-hmm. that we don't even know what we want, how we feel when we're sick. Um, we are waiting for people to tell us. Right. Um, I think the last three years, that's very obvious in that <laughs> people will just do what they're told because it's easier to be told what to do than to sit for a moment and think, but is that really what I and my body needs? I 100% agree. Yeah, that's easier to, and it goes back to, too, what we were talking earlier. It's easier to defer to, like, the doctor than to have to sit with, like, well, like, yeah, he may have gone to medical school or she may have gone to medical school, but, like, I also know a heck of a lot about my old body because I've been living in it for however many years I've been alive, you know? So you really are your own body's expert, and just because somebody has read something in a book and studied it, it, it doesn't mean that that applies always to you. Like you might have a completely different lived experience of something than a textbook would tell someone. Mm-hmm. And so, so often, and, and I'm not, uh, you know, bashing Western medicine, obviously there's a time and a place when we need those, those treatments. Um, but again, opening up to, other modalities and alternative. And I don't even like using the word alternative because a lot of the other treatments and medicines that we've had in the world were Were the original or the original. (laughs) Exactly. Right. And it's like (laughs) all the pharmaceuticals and all that stuff now is actually should be considered the alternative last, last, last resort. But we're so backwards here, um, especially, you know, where we are currently right in North America, I find uh, other parts of the world are still the opposite to what we do here. We don't, they don't reach for the pill first. They look for right. those, those, let's they try this other- and then that. And let's try, you know, looking at what you're eating. Let's try looking at, you know, what you're doing in terms of helping yourself relax. Like let's mm. do all of those things before, you know, and, and sometimes, you know, yeah, like you said, I'm not completely anti-Western medicine. There are sometimes there are medications that are life-saving or necessary for people. But yeah, it's just become this kind of, that's the go-to in a lot of societies, especially in North America. You know, it's the dominant paradigm. You go to the doctor when you're sick instead of maybe if you're just sick with something like a cold or flu, you just kind of let it run its course and the body knows body is smart. Yes. <laughs> you know, dealing with those things for centuries and our bodies can typically get through it. Yeah, exactly. I think that again, people are just so disconnected. So when we talk about that, you know, mind body connection and being able to really tap into knowing if, if something is wrong and we, I know like those emotions are get stuck in the body in certain spots what is an easy way for someone who maybe is just sort of getting onto this whole concept that, or feels already that there's something wrong, but again, the doctor, the doctor's like, no, you're fine. All your labs are fine. Your blood works fine. But the person's saying, "Mm, is there something that they can do themselves to sort of tap into that sort of inner knowing that, that 
intuition, I guess. Yeah. So one of the things that I always encourage people to do is kind of a practice of just, first of all, slowing down and getting quiet, kind of getting yourself into a receptive meditative state, basically. So take some deep breaths, you know, get somewhere where somebody's not going to come in and ask you a question and disturb you. You know, if you live a busy life and you have kids, like be like, I'm going to go in here and close my door. And then as you get kind of quiet and you you quiet your mind a bit, you can just start to talk to your body, like just ask it questions. I mean, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. It can just be like, what, what are you trying to communicate to me through? Like, maybe there's an area that's giving you a problem. You're having pain somewhere. Like, what does, you know, what does my shoulder want to tell me because I'm having pain in my shoulder? Or what does my knee want to tell me if I'm having pain in my knee? And just be quiet after you ask the question. And if you're new to it, I always encourage just be patient with it because you may not instantly like get some revelation of an answer. Like your body might be like, does she really want to know the answer to this? You know, so you may have to sit there. You may have to ask the question again. You may have to do it a few days in a row. Like if you really haven't spent a lot of time listening to your body. So just know those things are normal if this is like new for you and and don't just discount it that, oh, I sat there for three minutes and nothing happened. (laughs) Yeah. You know, give yourself some time, give yourself, make it a practice. And I would say if you did it every day for a week, you know, I would guess you would get an answer by that point. You know, you might get an answer sooner than that. Yeah. But, you know, don't don't just give up after like one (laughs) try for two or three minutes and say, oh, she's she's full of it. Like, I just don't know how to talk to my body. Right. Yeah. Because everyone again, it's it's this innate thing, wisdom that our body has. It's allowing getting our ego and our mind, ego mind out of the way to actually be able to listen. And that's why meditation, you know, changed my life. The shift in my ability to have more patience and more focus and to listen when I need to slow down and when I need to go a little faster. Like, like you said, sitting still is the key, right? And just being with yourself Mm -hmm. and you're in your own energy. Right. And just honor that, you know, and you can ask, what does that area need? Like, what does it want me to know? You can come up with whatever questions. I mean, there, there doesn't have to be a magic list, just whatever you're guided to. And one question I get sometimes too, when people try that is like, well, how do I know? Like, is it my brain? Is it my intuition? You know? And I think my answer to that is it tends to be like the intuition to me tends to feel a little bit softer. Like if you get kind of an answer that that seems very like, you know, directive or, oh, it should be this, it's probably your head, you know, and if you get kind of more of like a whispery answer, that might be, especially if you're kind of new at developing your relationship with your intuition, that might be the way your intuition is is talking to you. And it can talk in different ways, too. I like to point to that because everybody thinks that maybe, you know, intuitive people, they see things like, oh, I should see a picture of what I need to do or, you know, and our intuition, depending on which which um, subtle sense is most dominant for you, can be different. So some people might hear a word. Some people might just know, like, oh, I need to, like, make this change or I need to stop doing that thing. 
and you just know it kind of to the core of your being. Sometimes you might see a picture. Sometimes, you know, some people even have like the sense of smell could be involved. I don't have that as like a dominant subtle sense for me. So I don't usually get like smells or tastes of things, but it could communicate to you in some very interesting ways, depending on how your body wants to communicate. Yeah. I think that's really interesting how you said at the beginning, though, how you ignored all these signs, right? You were miserable in school and you just schluffed it off. The ego mind took over. Oh, I'm just supposed to be busy. I'm just this. I'm just like, that's the way it's supposed to be. Right. And now when you look back, right, you can see all the whispers Yeah, and you had to wait as my experience currently is waiting for the two by four. Yes. Right? That's, that's my reference point yeah. is usually I call it the cosmic two by four. It's yeah. like, you know, try to get that information obviously before you get to that cosmic two by four, but sometimes that's the way, you know, you don't listen to the whispers and whack up the side of the head. You're yeah. going to get it. <laughs> yeah. And also what I liked what you said at the beginning too, right. Is that at, at some point, you'll get back on the right path. You've taken a little detour. It's okay. You've learned the lessons, lessons, plural, that maybe you've need, you've come here to learn and now you're back on track. And so what was it at the end of the day? What, what was it the stress and the fact that you were ignoring what your sort of soul was supposed to be doing and you were in, in schooling, like your illness or the thing that happened to you, what was the, what was the outcome of that? I think for me, like I had always had in like a sense as a child that I was meant to do something to help people kind of healing that sort of thing. Um, originally, I think in my teenage years, I thought, well, maybe like being a therapist was kind of the idea that was present. But I think at that time I was scared of it because I knew I was, I don't think I knew the word empath. But I knew like I could feel what other people were experiencing and that I didn't have tools at that point to know how to negotiate that, navigate that. I didn't have two parents who were empaths like I I had parents who they were sympathetic. I think like some people have parents that are just like just stop being so sensitive, like don't don't behave that way. They were, you know, accepting of that, but they didn't know what to do to help me. And so I was so scared. And I thought, like, when I thought about being a therapist, I thought, how am I going to listen to people's problems all day and, like, not feel like I'm going to drown, you know, drown along with them? And so I took this other path. And I was always a good student, you know. And and when I was in college, history really interested me. I think I also kind of fell in line with an advisor who, like, really nurtured that side of me, which was great, Like, you know, I'm happy that I had that experience, but then when it came time to be like, okay, now it's time to like graduate and what am I going to do with my life? (laughs) You know, and I think that's such a a time of life that nobody really knows how to navigate, right? You're like, okay, I finished college. I have a degree now. Like I'm supposed to go get a job. And to me, it was terrifying to say, I'm going to go out and get a job. And I didn't like, okay, I have a history degree. What does that look like? What am I going to get a job doing? 
And to me, that represented like truly becoming an adult in my mind, like getting a job was like that final bridge into I am now an adult, even though I really was an adult, you know, already in college. And so I chose graduate school because it felt safe. I was like, I'm good at school. Let me see how long I can go to school for, you know, like maybe I can extend this for another, you know, eight, 10 years. Uh, and not have to deal with anything right just I can just continue to go to school I don't need to deal with the thing that that whisper that keeps coming but then the universe took care of that for you yes and gave you the cosmic two by four yes and then it was like um what the heck are you doing you know like maybe if I had been in that program and something about it lit me up great that would have been great but when it didn't you know spending three years trying to justify in my mind like you said with my ego like oh, well, you know, it's graduate school. It's supposed to be serious and hard and suffering. (laughs) Yeah, because that's what we're taught, right? That's what societal, the societal norm is that if you don't struggle and it isn't hard, then you'll, you won't see the success that, that is, you know, promoted out there. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, you know, both my parents had PhDs, like, so I felt like I was kind of primed for that, you know, too. like having two smart parents and everybody growing up was like, oh, are you going to get a PhD too? Yeah, it's the it's the underlining things that we don't even realize as kids that um, things that are said um, by family or friends, then you don't realize how much that sticks in there in that, that subconscious. And then it comes out in those limiting beliefs in, Mm -hmm. you know, like I grew up in a very small town and, um, but I always knew I was different than a lot of the kids in town, but I didn't want to be different, right? Because I wanted to fit in. And I've realized over just, you know, the last few years, it's like, that's that, thought that I have to shrink myself to fit in with the crowd of childhood has limited me and has kept me quote stuck from where I know I'm meant to be. Right. Right. It's, it's unbelievable how those thoughts get stuck in there. And then unless you're aware, and again, listening to the whispers and knowing like that Mm -hmm. innate knowing people let all those thoughts and those beliefs keep them yeah, lower and and stuck where they where they never make a change. Exactly. Yeah, we're kind of running these old so subconscious programs, and most of them, you know, as you're talking about with childhood, they go back to like the first seven years of our life when we're basically in a brainwave state that equals hypnosis. Yeah. You know, so we're like easily programmed as small children because that's how we how we can learn very quickly which is an adaptive thing for us. I mean, we have an incredible amount of things to learn to to be able to function compared to maybe like an animal. But then, you know, because we absorb all that stuff from mom and dad and friends and, you know, if you grew up with a religion or grew up in certain traditions, it's like then you absorb all of that. Like to be a good girl, you do this and, you know, don't do that. That's bad. You need to be successful. So do this. Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable on my own personal journey. And I'm sure, you know, how, how I think differently as a parent, even because it's really only for me personally cracked open the last, just before COVID, like, mm-hmm. you know, 18, 2018, 19. And my youngest um, will be 10 in December, but it's like the things that I'm like trying not 
consciously aware of what to say and not to say, right. knowing <laughs> what that could mean. And it's not like you don't want to overanalyze or overthink it all, all the time. Right. But at times it's like, we can't be saying that. You can't, those things are going to, even though they seem harmless, right? Even though it's just a joke, those things, those comments and beliefs get stuck in there um, right. and then get stored in the body. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. And then we just kind of keep operating from that until something comes along and we, we decide, okay, I don't really want to run these programs that I've run for 20, 30, 40, 50 yeah. years, you know? Yeah. yeah. And so when it comes to getting that energy out of the body, um, listening to the body, like you said, this is a good place to start sitting and speaking to your body, you know, in a loving way and asking it, what's the next thing and how do you get that stuck energy out? And even though like people may not really even understand, but like we are energy, our entire bodies, everything is energy. And we get that in blocks Again, those are words I think that are used a lot these days, but literally stored in our body in mm-hmm. through pain, um, not ability not to speak, ability not to, you know, maybe digestive problems. So when it comes to getting all that moving, what is, I mean, I'm sure there's a whole, like you said, a whole method, but what is one of the ways like walking in nature or yoga? What is um, one of the best ways? I mean, one of the ways I, I teach and I actually created like a digital version of teaching this so that it's you don't have to actually even become a client if you just are curious about it um, is to actually like find those emotions in your body. So I teach people how you can actually learn to self muscle test to like find things because that's one of the things people are like, well, how do I know where things are? <laughs> you know, like, So learn how to self muscle test. And then I teach a way of like being able to find it and clear it out of your body for yourself amazing amazing uh what is the biggest thing that you've learned about yourself on this journey um I would say I think it goes back to that piece on the intuition like really learn to to listen to your intuition and I still have to keep coming back to that. Like I'm going through kind of a, a period in my life where there's some challenges and my mom is, is kind of reaching final stages of her life. Mm-hmm. And that's an incredibly stressful process to be going through. And my body now is like, Oh, when I'm not paying attention, I get the, the, the taps on the, you know, the shoulder, so to speak yeah. of like, Oh, you're not really walking your talk a hundred percent. So I'm going to give you a signal here and you better slow down and pay attention to it. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It's, it's a practice. It's a daily, everyday growing and learning and being aware though, I think, right. Is if you are not aware of those emotions or even having, and that's the other thing is how do you, someone who's never grown up in this, like, someone like you, someone like myself, having someone to have this knowledge, mm-hmm. they'll how like, they may never know. Right. I just, it makes me wonder sometimes it's like, if they don't have it sitting in front of them right. or they've randomly been able to see it on a TV or a news article, some people might never have the ability or capability or, um, opportunity to understand this 
right awareness that yeah. that it even exists yeah, yeah. that's I think that's probably why I would imagine that's why you're pa- passionate about kind of interviewing people and sharing that I know that's why I'm passionate like so that it ripples out and people realize that you know one of the things I see so much in healing is everybody's focused so much on the physical body and that's important obviously but actually things don't even really start at that level when when they come up they start more in you know our minds in our energy fields in our emotional systems and then like eventually if we don't catch it in those other layers then it lands in the body so we can't just like fix it at the body level because usually it didn't even start there it's like got you know five other layers above it that we need to address oh yes for sure and that's the thing right our mind is so powerful like we said at the beginning it can heal you or hurt you and there's i mean so many studies out there now that shows that the power of our thoughts yes you know people that have said they can never heal or you know have been paralyzed and have have worked through that and are now walking like there is quote miracles right but people don't believe it because it's so out of the ordinary from what we are taught to believe or like you said go to the medicine first do this first rather than looking at our bodies can heal ourselves Exactly. Yeah. And then it's so discounted too in that paradigm. Like I was reading this book and what is it called? It's called Radical Remission. Mm -hmm. And it's this woman that studied all these people that, that kind of had radical healing from cancer. And one of the things she points out, I'm not even through the whole book, but one of the things she points out is that when she talked to the care providers and the doctors of these people, or when she talked to them about, you know, their experience, nobody was even curious of like, how did they manage to heal themselves? Or, and they were like, well, don't tell other patients about this. And like, what, you know, like don't give them, I think there was something in there about don't give them false hope. And it's like, what what harm is that going to really do somebody versus to my mind, you know, when we're given a diagnosis, I, I heard a quote years ago at a conference and the person said, the modern equivalent of a voodoo curse is a medical diagnosis because it it goes back to what we were talking about. It programs in your mind, you know, I have this thing. And then you hear usually, Oh, this is something we can't cure. We can just manage it for you with medications for the rest of your life. And then you're suggestible. And what do you do? You walk around thinking that's your truth. Yes. And it really doesn't have to be. I mean, I witness people with autoimmune have amazing changes and in, in healing results that their doctors sometimes are like, what is going on? Mm-hmm. That gets into a whole other conversation, right? About why do the, why does the medical profession not want people to get better? <laughs> Yeah, that's yeah. a whole whole other conversation. <laughs> yes, right? yeah, one that we could spin on for a while. <laughs> uh, yes, and why you know it's it's the now it's it's back into that time of year and and get your shots and um, yeah, there's so many alternatives to to that. But one last question, Lynn. What um, just as you said, your your experience. You know, there's other things going on in your life right now, other stressors, but. How do you find the harmony while you're in the midst of, of, uh, of life right now? I think just, again, going back to that slowing down, like last night before bed, I 
I put on a couple just meditations, you know, just getting quiet, doing simple things. I think that's the other thing I always like to tell people. It doesn't have to be big, complicated rituals. It could be sitting for five minutes and breathing, you know, you yes, don't have to spend yes. thousands of dollars. You can breathe, you know, <laughs> it's free. It's the first thing you did when you came in the world and it'll be the last thing that you do when you leave. And it is the easiest thing. I love that. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So coming back to that, or like you said earlier too, like time in nature is another great, like get out there, you know, get grounded, like take in just the beauty of the world around you. And, and I think that puts things sometimes in perspective too. It's like, Everything feels really big and overwhelming, but, you know, we're part of a whole bigger world and, and there's cycles in nature. Like we're going through that cycle now where, you know, some, some places the trees are already have shed their leaves where I live. It's still happening. So witnessing that is like that message in nature of this is the process, you know, things go through that dying off and then, you know, things come back to life too. Yes. And that is, that is always the best thing is knowing that the seasons do change and it's only ever temporary. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I love this conversation. There's probably so many things I didn't even get to touch on, but where can the listeners find you, follow you, tap into any uh, resources that you have? Yeah. So one way is just to check out my website, which is heartfirehealingllc.com. And you can also find me on Instagram with heartfirehealing. Um, yeah, it's just heart fire healing. It doesn't have PDX in it. <laughs> One of my emails did, so I always have to remember. <laughs> amazing, amazing. And is there just, um, you know, any last thing for people who are, you know, listening that are like, I'm hearing the whispers. Like, I know um, I need to, you know, make a shift in some area of their life. Um, and I think maybe we've already covered it, but I mean, the slowing down, the getting into the nature, but Anything else that they might want to tap into? Um, I think just knowing that you can trust yourself, like giving yourself that permission to, to, to trust yourself. We live in a world that doesn't always kind of emphasize that, you know, again, trust the experts, trust somebody outside of yourself, but give yourself that message of, I can listen to myself. I, I know things. I'm smart. <laughs> yeah. Love it so much. Well, thank you so much for this conversation. And I know that the listeners are going to take a lot away from this. And I think this whole coming back and connecting back to thyself and intuition and really just tapping into healing our bodies is as we talk about it more, more people will be able to do it. Yep. We have to give that permission and and lead by example. (laughs) Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you so much. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for being here with me today. If you love this episode, make sure you subscribe and share it with someone who you think would love it too. And a five-star review helps get the Spiritual Shipworker podcast out to those that need it most. I can't wait to connect with you online, so make sure you follow me on Facebook at The Spiritual Shipworker and on Instagram at Lianne Magahi. It's time to enjoy the shift, one breath at a time.